0: Welcome to Oddity Podity. I'm your host, Tana. We're officially in the throes of spooky season, so we're going to get way odd up in the pod today with a topic that sincerely freaks me out to the max, black-eyed kids. Reports of creepy children with jet black eyes who appear out of nowhere have been floating around internet message rooms and chat boards for decades. And while largely dismissed as urban legend, the similarities in each encounter are really hard to deny, as is the spine-tingling feeling you get when reading them. Few stories have ever given me the chilly willies quite like those of black-eyed kids. There are a few more podcasts out there that cover this topic, and I would not recommend listening to those or this one before bed. So if you're listening to this in the dark, you better turn on the lights. As a kid, I had some great big googly moogly eyes. They tended to creep people out. Thankfully, I grew into them, but not so for black-eyed kids. What exactly are black-eyed kids? Well, black-eyed kids, or sometimes called black-eyed children, are described by Wikipedia as an urban legend. It's believed to have originated with Texas journalist Brian Bethel, who incidentally insists that his story of an encounter with a couple of black-eyed kids is 100% true. The fact that after he shared his story, others started coming forward with stories of similar encounters is what earned it the tag of urban legend. What's interesting to me is that the majority of these stories don't vary greatly. In each case, an adult is approached by a child or children between the ages of about 6 and 16 years old. The children have pale skin and solid black eyes without pupils or irises. The children always ask for something that requires you to be in close proximity to them, such as asking for a ride or to enter your house or to use the phone. Often they're wearing dated or old-fashioned clothes. And the people who encounter them always describe a sense of overwhelming dread or terror. And for various reasons, the solid black eyes aren't always noticed right away. When you hear the stories and the descriptions of how people felt on these encounters, it's clear that the fight-or-flight alarm bells going off in their heads might have something to do with that. Or, as some believe these beings to be extraterrestrials, vampires, or even ghosts, maybe it's because they're able to scramble your thoughts for a bit. While there's a lot of debate as to what exactly black-eyed children or black-eyed kids are, there's no debate on who gets the credit for the OG of black-eyed kids' stories. Texas journalist Brian Bethel. The original account is posted in the Abilene Reporter News archives from April 13, 2013. I don't want to quote or read the entire piece because Brian tells it so well himself. So I'll put the link of the archived article up in the show notes in case you want to read the story in his own words. According to Bethel, the incident happened in Abilene in 1996. He says one of his greatest regrets is not writing down the actual date that it happened, but he knows it was either spring or summer as he remembers wearing shorts at the time. As he puts it, quote, After you hear the story, you'd think it would be something you'd never forget, but given enough time between, not the case. My memory, while good, isn't quite a Heard, Brian, heard. I never remembered any of my wedding anniversaries, so I get being fuzzy on dates you experience trauma. Anyway, some of you who are listening may not have even been born in 1996, so imagine if you can a time in which the only way to pay a bill was to write a check and either mail or hand deliver it to your debtor. This is exactly what Brian was doing on that fateful night. His internet service provider, Camelot Communications, had a payment night drop at their corporate building which was next to a movie theater. As Brian sat in his car, writing out a check for his internet bill by the light of the movie marquee, he was interrupted by a knock on his driver's side window. He looked up to see two boys dressed in hoodies standing there. They looked to be around 9 to 12 years old. One of the boys had olive skin and dark curly hair and was described as suave, as he did all of the talking. The other boy was a pale, freckled ginger who hung back. Brian figured that they were going to ask for money, so he cracked the window a bit, but didn't roll it down very far. This is when he was, quote, immediately gripped by an incomprehensible, soul racking fear. The olive-skinned boy told Brian that they'd come to see Mortal Kombat, but had left their money at home. He asked if they could get a ride back to their house to retrieve the money. This was a believable enough story, but Brian's gut was screaming, hail to the gnaw. Though they'd only had a brief exchange, Brian said he was already in- irrationally yet terribly terrified of the two boys. Olive Skin keeps talking, and all the while, Brian is thinking of excuses as to why he shouldn't give the boys a ride. He glances up at the theater marquee and realizes that Mortal Kombat has already started. In the time it would take him to drive the boys home and back, the movie would be almost over. Olive Skin has been quietly talking this whole time, steadily trying to convince Brian to let them get in the car, saying things like, It won't take long. We're just two little kids. We don't have a gun or anything. As Olive drones on, Brian becomes aware that his hand has wandered to the door handle and he's about to open it and let the boys get inside. It's at this point when he realizes what he's about to do that it's like he's snapped out of a trance. He suddenly becomes consumed by sheer terror and yanks his hand away from the door just before he unlocks it. When he looks back up at the boys, they're staring at him with jet black eyes, which he describes as soulless orbs like two great swaths of starless night. At this point, Brian has a full-body freak out, but only on the inside. On the outside, he apologized to the boys and made some lame excuse and tried to peel out of there as discreetly as possible, all while being slowly engulfed in a suffocating aura of terror. He rolled the window up and glanced back at them one last time. The ginger boy wore a look of puzzlement, but Olive was furious. He beat on the car window and screamed at Brian to let them in the car, saying, We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in! But Brian had a few brain cells, so he did not let those demon chillings in. Instead, he bo-duked it out of there and lived to tell the tale. Brian goes on to say that initially he wrote this story to get it off his chest and only shared it with a small group of friends. But it somehow made its way onto the Internet and resulted in the term Black Eyed Kids, or B.E.K. for short. Brian Bethel ends this article by saying, quote, As much as I still don't know about what happened that night and why, here's one thing that I do know. It's a gut feeling, but one that rises to the level of almost certainty. If I had given the spokesman and his friend a ride that long ago evening, I don't think I would be here to type this now. I feel you, Brian, and I agree. The first time I heard this story, I realized a little too late that garbage day was the next morning, and I could not for the life of me bring myself to take it out. I chose instead to let the entire bin go rancid rather than walk down my driveway alone at night for fear that a black-eyed child would appear and demand to be let into my house. That's kind of what happens in this next story. After Brian Bethels, it's the second most popular one that will come up if you're searching for B.E.K. stories. This one comes from tbsnews.net. It recounts the experience of an older couple who were alone in their home during a snowstorm in Vermont. They hear a knock on their front door, three loud raps. Puzzled as to who could be up for a visit at this time, they answer the door and see two small children, a boy and a girl. The children avoid eye contact, and the boy says, Parents will be here soon. May we come in? The couple hesitated as the children stood there awkwardly with their gazes averted. But it was cold and pouring snow outside, so it seemed there was no other choice than to let the children come inside the house. The children sat on the couch, and the wife headed to the kitchen to make them a hot drink. The husband tried to make conversation, but the children, eyes still averted, did not respond. The couple had cats, which seemed very disturbed with the children's presence, hissing and spitting at them. When the wife returned from the kitchen, the boy asked her if they could use the restroom. It was then that the children finally looked her full in the face. Their eyes were solid black with no pupils. The wife, paralyzed with fear, could only point the way to the restroom. Once the children were out of sight, The woman looked to her husband to see that he was covering his face with his hands. She whispered to him, asking if he'd seen the children's eyes too. Then the husband uncovered his face. His hands and nose were covered in blood from a massive nosebleed. At that moment, the power went out and the house was plunged into darkness. That's when the children announced, Our parents are here. The kids then made their way back through the darkened house as if they knew exactly where they were going and exited through the front door, leaving it open. Through that open door, the couple could see two very tall, very slender men dressed in black suits. They waved at them, but the men just ushered the children into the car, and then they all drove away. After the kids left, the power came back on, but their presence was felt for a long time after that. Over the next week, three of the couple's four cats came up missing, and the fourth was found dead in a pool of its own blood. In the weeks that followed, the husband continued to have nosebleeds and was finally diagnosed with a rare and aggressive skin cancer that's usually only found in people that have been exposed to high levels of radioactivity. This led to people theorizing that the children had been some sort of extraterrestrials and the husband's close proximity to them while trying to make conversation had exposed him to high levels of radiation. found a bunch of stories on reddit about black-eyed children specifically on the no sleep subreddit thought catalog also compiled a bunch of various reddit groups and i'll link them both in case you want to go and read these stories in their entirety but i picked out the ones that scared me the most to share with you guys and since reddit authors frequently utilize usernames that are cumbersome to pronounce and sometimes go defunct due to lack of use or they just delete everything i'm going to give the people in the stories real names for easier storytelling For this next story, I'm going to call the author Marcy. This one gave me the chills in particular because if you have children or have ever kept or babysit them, anything that seems like a threat to their safety is amplified times about a billion. Also, I have to wonder what kind of sadist this lady was because not only did she have a two-year-old daughter, she chose to compound that potty training on herself by getting a puppy. Marcy writes that the family's three-month-old puppy, Lucy, woke her up one night barking. She, her husband, and the baby had all been sleeping in the same bed, so she got up to quiet Lucy before it woke up the whole family. Lucy was standing at the bedroom door barking like there was someone outside of it. Marcy decided to open the bedroom door to show Lucy that there was nothing outside of it, but when she did, Lucy bolted to the front door and stood there in front of it snarling and growling. Now, if my dog was doing this, there's no way in heck I would have done what Marcy did next. But like I said, she's sleep-deprived and not thinking super clearly. So she decides to also open the front door to prove to Lucy that there's nothing there. She says as soon as she reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went nuts, barking and jumping at her. But the moment her fingers actually touched the lock, the puppy's temperament changed. Lucy backed down and began to whimper in fear, as though resigned to an awful fate. Marcy's mood changed as well. She was filled with a sudden mixture of terror and dread. So instead of opening the door, she looked through the peephole. Standing there on the porch were two kids. One looked to be around 16. She was thin and pale-skinned with long blonde hair and bangs that covered most of her eyes. She stood there clutching the hand of a little girl, who was also blonde and pale, and looked to be around three or four. The only thing that kept Marcy from opening the door and inviting them in and out of the cold was that overwhelming dread that lay in the pit of her gut. Marcy hadn't turned on any porch light. She hadn't said anything to Lucy or given any kind of sign that she was standing on the other side of the door. She hadn't made any noise. She hadn't even opened the deadbolt. Yet, the older girl suddenly said, We have to use your phone. Marcy froze with terror. That's when the girl looked up and straightened to the peephole. Her bangs fell away from her face, and Marcy could see that her eyes were solid black. Our mother is worried, the girl said. Marcy knew exactly what the two girls were and what would happen if she continued to stand there. Even as she stood paralyzed with terror, she could feel a psychic pull nudging her toward the door, urging her to open it and let the girls in. She forced herself to back away from the door as quietly as possible as the girl continued to bargain and cajole. Just let us in. Just let us use your phone she begged. But with each step Marcy took backward, the begging tone turned aggressive and demanding. We're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have just broken in. I'll ask again. May we come in and use your phone? With Lucy snarling the whole way, the two slowly made their way back into the bedroom. The whole time, Marcy fought the nearly irresistible urge to go back and open the door. When she got into her room, she locked that door, covered the windows, and continued to listen to the girl call out again and again for her. Finally, the call stopped, but Marcy did not sleep again that night. In fact, it was a long, long while before she ever slept soundly again. And honestly, just reading and writing that story out made it hard for me to sleep. This next story was also posted in Reddit by a user named SarahBeth11. Sarah writes that the incident happened one Halloween. It was about 9.30, and the trick-or-treaters had for the most part dried up. She and her husband were watching scary shows in the living room. Since it was late and they hadn't had any trick-or-treaters in a while, they decided to turn off the porch light. They had crated their bulldog, Chloe, to ensure that she didn't accidentally get loose while the door was being opened and shut for trick-or-treaters, so they let her out of her crate, too. Sarah curled up on the couch with Chloe at her feet, and her husband went upstairs to take a shower. Almost as soon as Sarah heard the water upstairs turn on, there was a soft knock at the door. Her first reaction was annoyance, as it was nearly 10 p.m., but that feeling quickly gave way to unease. They had a glowing doorbell, which would have been all the more visible with the porch light off. So why was someone knocking instead of ringing it? Sarah thought about ignoring the doorbell, but the front door was made of a frosted glass, and while someone couldn't necessarily see inside, they would be able to tell that she was sitting on the couch with the TV on. She didn't want to be rude. That soft knock came again. Sarah was about to get up when she noticed that Chloe was gone. She stood up and looked around and spotted the bulldog huddled by the back door like she needed to go out to go potty. This wasn't how Chloe usually signaled to go potty. She usually licked Sarah's hand or laid her head on Sarah's knee. This odd behavior freaked Sarah out, so she instructed Chloe to go back to her crate. But Chloe wouldn't budge. Irrational anxiety mounting, Sarah yelled up to her husband, but he couldn't hear her over the shower. And there came that gentle knock again. Sarah's eyes darted to the front door, just as a car passed on the street. Its headlights washed over the front porch and illuminated the silhouettes of two children. Relieved, Sarah figured that it was probably just two straggler kids from the neighborhood, nothing nefarious, so she went to the door and opened it just slightly. It was two kids, all right, but they weren't wearing costumes, nor did they yell, trick or treat. It was a girl around 11 or 12 and a boy around 8 or 9. The girl asked if they could come inside and use the phone to call their mother. Instantly, that feeling of dread kicked Sarah right in the gut. It was the feeling that something was not right. Sarah asked the girl if she didn't have a cell phone she could call her mother at home on. As a kid her age, she probably have one, right? At that moment, the children looked at each other but said nothing, as though they were communicating telepathically. Then the girl looked back at Sarah and said, Ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're alone out here. My brother is scared. With this, Sarah's torn. What the girl said makes total sense, and she shouldn't be hesitating to help two lost kids. But that sinking feeling in her stomach won't subside. Then Sarah noticed that, as the girl's been talking, she'd unconsciously opened the door wider. Stopping herself, Sarah said, Honey, why don't you give me your mother's number and I can call her myself? The children looked at each other again, and a few seconds ticked by. Then they turned back in unison, and the girl said, Ma'am, my little brother has used your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call our mom? And as the girl spoke these words, she came at the door like she was going to force her way in. When she did this, the light from inside the house fell on her face and Sarah got a full look at her. That's when she saw the solid black orbs where the girl's eyes should have been. Every hair on Sarah's body stood on end as she was gripped by sheer terror. She quickly shut the door until it was only opened to a tiny sliver. The girl began to beg, saying, Please, ma'am, we're really scared and alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. And then, as though on cue again, both children began to cry. Instead of softening her, this pleading and crying had the opposite effect on Sarah. She was terrified. She slammed the door shut and locked it. Then she yelled to the girl that she would call her mother for her, but they were not allowed inside the house. Through the frosted glass, Sarah could see the forms of the children, just standing there, waiting. Sarah decided to call her neighbor across the street. She grabbed her phone, and that's when the kids finally moved away from the porch. As Sarah tiptoed to the door and peered through the frosted glass, she could still see the children's forms, but now they were standing on the street lot at the end of the drive. As she called the neighbor, the kids finally started walking away. And by the time the neighbor met Sarah on the street, the kids had completely disappeared. And later that night, they found Chloe hiding under a bed in the guest room. The next story I've got happened on Halloween, too. And the author of this post says that he noticed that his neighbor, we'll call him Jimmy, who usually goes all out on Halloween, hadn't put up a single decoration for the big night. So he asked Jimmy about it, and he gets a chilling answer. Jimmy says that the previous year on Halloween, around midnight, and well after trick-or-treaters should have been home and tucked into bed, his doorbell rang. At first, Jimmy was annoyed, but then quickly realized that he hadn't turned off his porch light or decorations, so he reluctantly snagged the candy bowl and dutifully got up to deliver treats. Jimmy opened the door and stopped dead in his tracks. Standing there were two teenage boys wearing street clothes, and their eyes were empty black holes. He was instantly hit with an overwhelming sense of unease, just like what seems to happen with all of the people who encounter BEKs. While shaken, Jimmy realizes that this is Halloween after all, and the kids must be wearing some sort of very convincing contact lenses. The fact that the kids just stood there staring into space instead of yelling, "'Trick or treat!' made him think that they were trying to stay in character, like they were supposed to be zombies or something. As his gut instinct was screaming for him to shut the door in the kid's face, one of them spoke. The smaller of the two piped up and said, We're lost. We need to come in and use the phone. At this, Jimmy says, No, sorry, and shuts the door almost completely on them, as would I. Then the bigger one says, Can we just wait in your house until our parents come get us? Convinced that the boys were high or about to rob him, Jimmy again says no bueno and slammed the door and locked it. He spent the rest of the night terrified and convinced that the kids were going to break in. He ended up staying up all night because he was too scared to go back to sleep. This encounter was enough reason for Jimmy to cancel Halloween forever. And I can't say I blame him. I may cancel Halloween too after reading that. Our last story comes from the No Sleep subreddit. It comes from a man who was just trying to get a little chill time in after his wife and baby daughter went to bed. Let's call him Bobby. One night, Bobby was up listening to music and watching YouTube videos on his laptop with one earbud in, leaving the other ear free so he could hear if the baby cried and needed him. His wife had to get up at 4 a.m. for her job at the hospital, so he had the nightly baby duty. At some point, he dozed off like this, and he was suddenly awakened by a thumping noise from the front porch. At first, he figured it was the cat, but the thumping continued. Annoyed, he got up to see what was going on, but there was nothing going on. The front porch was empty. Though it was 2 a.m., Bobby was awake now and unable to go back asleep. He decided to make some tea and finish watching the YouTube show that he'd fallen asleep in the middle of. He shuffled to the kitchen, put some tea on, and began the video. He was only a few minutes in when he felt the sudden urge to look up at the kitchen window. There, just above the window's lower frame, were the tops of two small heads, just standing there. Whoever they were, they were a smidge too short to see through the window, but Bobby could see them. Bobby's stomach did a flip-flop and was filled with an inexplicable dread. Although he was a father and his late-night visitors were clearly child-sized, He could not bring himself to answer the steady thumping, the wordless request to be let inside. Instead, he closed his laptop and made his way as quietly as possible to the baby's room. But as he changed rooms, so did his visitors. While the thumping continued on the kitchen window, a second thump began on the bedroom window. Two synchronized thumps. The baby stirred in her sleep. Fear gave way to anger as Bobby realized that the thumping was about to wake his daughter. He hurried to the kitchen to confront his 2 a.m. guests. When he opened the door, he was hit with the overpowering stench of mold. Standing there were two boys who looked to be around 10 years old. The smallest one asked, May we use your telegraph? Bobby's brain scrambled to take everything in. The rotten smell, the anger that had dissolved back into dread. And the request, a telegraph, not a phone, a telegraph. As he thought about it, the boy asked again, sir, may we use your telegraph? Bobby replied the only way that he could think to. I don't have that service at my house. Sorry. With this, the boy's expressions turned to rage as Bobby quickly shut the door. He hurried back to his daughter and plucked her from her crib. The thumping began again. Bobby slumped to the floor beneath the window, out of view, as the thumping rattled the walls. Though he cradled his baby protectively, he began to cry and shake, feeling helpless and afraid. It seemed like an eternity passed until he heard his wife's alarm go off at 4 a.m. The thumping stopped instantly. Still cradling the baby, Bobby tiptoed to the master bedroom, where his wife had just risen from her slumber. She took one look at him and asked, What's wrong with you? Apparently, she was completely unaware of the thumping or that anything had been wrong. How is that possible? After a long while and much thought, Bobby came to this conclusion. The black-eyed kids only affect those who are aware of their presence. The mere knowledge of their existence is the only reason they visit. And now, dear listeners, you have that knowledge. So if you get a visit from a black-eyed kid, I guess you can blame me. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much. It's everything. If you haven't already, please go follow us on Instagram at odditypoditypodcast. And if you want to be the most helpfulest, please go leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's something weird or creepy or strange that you'd like me to investigate and report back to you on, drop me an email at odditypodity at gmail.com. That's O-D-D-I-T-Y. E-O-D-D-I-T-Y at gmail.com. See y'all next time.